This is the VIP Podcast, Virginia in Politics. Let's listen to host Chris Saxman explore the personalities and policies that connect the Commonwealth. The VIP Podcast is brought to you by the VCTA, Broadband Association of Virginia, and Virginia Free. The views and opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the VCTA and Virginia Free or our sponsors. Okay, this is Chris Saxman back here on the VIP podcast brought to you by VCTA, the Broadband Association of Virginia and Virginia Free, of which I am the executive director. That's the Foundation for Research and Economic Education. Been around since 1988, bringing the business and political communities together to engage with one another to create a better, more vibrant free enterprise system in Virginia, long, uh, as long also, <laughs> sorry, with the uh, responsible pro-business government. That's an important thing that we've always cherished here in Virginia. Actually, Virginia was a company before it was a colony. That's how much we are in tune with our free enterprise system and having our economy grow so that it can provide the revenues for our, our uh, core services in, in government and so that we don't increase the tax rates and the burden on taxpayers and businesses alike. Joining me now, Delegate Karen Greenhall of Virginia Beach. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. I love it here in Richmond. The first session, you're, you're, you're a first year delegate. We don't say freshman. Do we, do we say fresh woman? What do, we, what do we do now? What do we do now? Is, it, is that a thing? So, no, uh, we call ourselves freshmen. Okay, there we go. We're in, we're in, we're in a new era. Yes, uh, we Everything are. has to be like, don't want to be too touchy over here and make sure everyone's been okay over there. Is that, is that, is that, a, is that a thing we're seeing in our culture every, everywhere we go now? Is that everyone's always, can we say that? Should we say that? Have you experienced that more and more in politics? Uh, yes, I think we all have. Not just in politics. I think that's Did you see that in your election? Your first your first time out? No. Um, I just I thoroughly enjoyed running for office and meeting people and most people, even if we didn't agree, we could just have a wonderful conversation and um, found we agreed on more than we expected. And you find that more and more in politics when you get to actually meet people and mm-hmm. see them face to face. It's one of the reasons why we do this mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, available on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Thanks for playing. Uh, it's to get know to get to know our elected representatives a, a bit more, and to understand why they're here. Uh, Chris, delegate Chris Head was on was in earlier. I asked him why he's running. Uh, continues to run. He's in now in Lincoln eleven years. Uh, he's now running for the state senate. What delegate Greenhall? What was the tipping point for you to decide you were going to run for the House of Delegates? I just think we need um, two things basically. I want to see people with common sense in office, and I want to see people with business experience in office, because I think those will help us to, those, that experience helps you make a better decision. So I started a few years ago working with people that I wanted to get in office or keep in office, help them win their primary so I could vote for someone I liked in November, because um, too often I was having to vote for people that didn't keep their word, okay. or I felt were just... Um, saying what they needed to to get elected, and per, more on the federal level. But that's how I got involved in politics. I said, to have someone I want to support in November, I have to get involved in the primary process. And when did you start getting involved in politics? Oh, it's probably been eight, ten years ago. And I was walking doors for people I wanted in office, making phone calls, doing whatever they needed as a volunteer, my husband and I together. Well, what, what made you do all that? I just saw we were losing track in Virginia. Um, it just felt that we were getting off course. Um, I love our constitution, federal and Virginia constitution, and we weren't 
we were getting off track from the basic principles that have made us strong for so long. I mean, our I don't have to tell you, but our U.S. Constitution is the oldest in the country. I mean, no country has had the same Constitution for over 200 years. And those foundational principles are why. It doesn't mean we can't change or um, have new ideas sure. or incorporate other, you know, other concepts. I mean, we're growing and changing, but we have to hold to those principles. And I felt like they were being well, why, why, why do we have to hold to those principles? What is it about Karen Greenhall that gets you off the couch, the old term, getting off the couch and doing, getting yeah. off your duff and doing something? What made you get in the game? Was there a moment or just a continual erosion away from the principles that you, that you espouse, you, you, you bond to or uh, um, cherish? I don't want to put words in, but it seems that way. What, what was the moment or feeling that you had like, no, I'm going to get, I'm going to go do something? So I think just realize that we're losing the concept of self-government. We are responsible for ourselves. We hear a lot about liberty and freedom, but there are two sides to that. I mean, there's also individual responsibility. And it, it just seems as though people are becoming more and more dependent on the government. And I don't think that's good for us as individuals. We need to be responsible for ourselves and the government step in and help when someone needs help, but not take care of us. I mean, we've, you've heard the term cradle to grave, um, government assistance. And I, I think for individuals to be responsible for themselves is where we find out where our strengths are. Okay. I mean, when you, when you um, sorry, I hit the mic. Uh, so when You're we, fired. <laughs> That's it. Get so out. when you face a crisis is when you find out how much you can do. Right. It's like in school and a teacher gives you a project and you think, oh my gosh, I can't do that. Right. Or your boss gives a new employee a project. Right. But then you jump in and try and do it and say, I can do that. And if we don't expect people to do the best that they can do, and mm -hmm. how do they ever learn how far they can go, what they can achieve, and their, how strong their yeah. character Be is. Beginning to not put words, but this is, I think, okay. one of the foundational elements of the conservatism, Americans for Prosperity. Jacob Fish was in here earlier. Um, that was a very substantive policy discussion. They talk about the full potential of the human. Uh, and do you believe that that is, uh, with the growth of government, that's an encroachment on the development of every person? And where do we draw the balance between you know, providing the safety net, providing the, the vehicle for them to become independent and becoming too dependent on those very programs? Because mm -hmm. you, know, you, know, you can't just say, well, off you go uh, and, and let them go do it and discover because there's, there's that balance. And that's what, that's what this whole thing's about, isn't it? Is maintain that balance. But is, is that a fair description or summary of, of the, the balance between in your governing philosophy? Well, I, yeah, I think it is a good balance, which is why I want people who have business experience. Because right. when I started my first business, and I was so glad to hear you say you're pro-business, I started <laughs> it in my garage. I would have loved to have gone to college, but there was no money. I mean, my dad was working two jobs to take care of his three girls and, and have a house for us. Um, so I started my first business in my garage, grew up for 20 years. What was the business? Uh, I built cabinets. Great. A cabinet. Yeah. You're a cabinet maker. I, I, yes, sir. There was a time when I could design and build your cabinets and your countertops. Um, yeah, we wow. were one of the first computerized. But, but just that process of some, you know, something that's so challenging and you understand, how, you learn how to work with people. And my employees, I had some of the best employees. Um, but. It was also an opportunity to give people a chance. Um, I hired a man who was a convicted felon. He wrote to me, he had served his 30 years for murder. Mm. Wrote to me, and the only job he'd ever had 
was in a cabinet shop that his father had. As a teenager, he was drinking too much, partying too mm. much, helped his dad in the cabinet shop, and he blacked out one night, woke up on the beach, there was a dead body, and he was blamed. So he doesn't know what happened, but he wow. served his 30 years, and all he knew was cabinet shop. So he wrote to me, and when he got out of prison. Now, how long ago was this? Uh, how long ago yeah. was this? Probably 15 years ago. Okay, okay. Um, but he's, yeah, yeah, it was, he, he's, I, I don't know. yeah, he served his 30 years, and when, when he got out, they had found a hotel for him. They had to make sure he, right. you know, had a place to stay. He wouldn't even go to the hotel. He said, no, I go for my job interview first. And I'll never forget, um, he'd been in prison for 30 years. My office was on the second floor, and I knew how old he was. We'd written, this was before emails, we'd written, and... I watched him coming up the steps and I thought, oh my gosh, he's a lot older than I thought because he was struggling to get up the steps. But it's because his legs had been chained for 30 years. Mm. When he was out of his cell, his legs were chained. And so he was struggling just to get up the steps. Wow. But those are people like that I gave, all he wanted was a second chance, one of the sure. best employees I ever had. Is that right? And he was still there when I sold my business, yes sir. Wow. And. Um, to know when to give someone a second chance, to know when to help someone so that they can still be the best they can be. Yeah. That's, I'm really struggling to not say his, say his name, but that's all he that's wanted. That's a powerful story. Yes. And we're, so in, 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 in Delegate Green, in, in balancing the government programs and getting people to be independent, uh, mindful of the, the returning citizens, as, as the, the felons are, are called now, as a, as a way to return them to society. Mm -hmm. um, where do we draw the balance in all of these programs and the taxing authority and the governing authority? I mean, how do you, how do you come at that as a freshman into this new reality of yours that you live every day with all these bills coming at you that don't deal with these things that you're used to dealing with. You're on, you're on committees that don't deal with business, right? You're on P&E and education. Education does to a degree, but CTI, you know, you have these bills that you kind of go, what is this? How do you, where do you draw the lines on these things? So, well, and as I said, common sense, and I think most business people have developed common sense along the way and how to work with people and, and um, judge character. But I, I've really not seen any bills that I couldn't read and understand and make a decision based on common sense. And where to draw that line is where so often we disagree. But that's why I want more business people in office. And as far as education, I'm a mom, grandma, and with my three children, we did private school, public school, which was wonderful. By the way, we started in public school and homeschooled. And uh, both of my children went to college. And even though I didn't, I'm, I'm a firm believer in education. And so just bringing the experience, you have to admit I have a lot more experience at my age than, uh, than a lot of the freshmen coming in. But with my business experience and being a mom and a grandmother and just working with people, I've done volunteer work in the community, all of that comes into play, and, and a lot of it's just common sense and caring about other people. If someone doesn't have to agree with me on everything, sure. to be able to be civil and have a conversation and discuss why do we not agree. It's, um, education's a good one, walking doors. Sure. The, so often people would say they believed that we needed equal outcomes. We had to have equal outcomes for the children, and um, I said equal outcomes are good, but 
if you're just lowering all the standards to have equal outcomes, then that's not good. Let's help every child be the, the best they can be. And it's a complicated problem, but I do think it's one that we can solve. And I'll never forget one man, um, I met him in his driveway, and it was in the summertime, it's very hot. We were both sweating, and I said, I feel so sorry for keeping you out here. And he said, this is fascinating. I've never talked to a Republican before. No. But we had the best conversation because he was an older gentleman, and he said he grew up in segregation. He knew what it was like to be that hurt. Mm. His children did not. Mm. His children grew up. They could be what they wanted to be. There are always conflicts between people. Sure, sure. But his concern is for his grandchildren because he said in the public school system right now, they're being taught to look at race in a way that his children did not. And he's worried about his grandchildren growing up the way he did because of the concepts. And those are, those are big issues that we have to deal with. Those are with. really but big issues right now. I mean, the, 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 the nation is almost transfixed on these particular mm -hmm. issues and, and how uh, important it is to teach all the history, the good, the bad, the ugly, as many of our statewide leaders have said. Um, and you're on education now. It's, it, how, are, how are you able to keep the balance in, on the committee with all these hot button issues that are coming up. I'm sure there's a lot of hot button issues. And is, is that committee fairly civil given all that is being put upon them on these divisive concepts or these uh, political const constructs that are, that are coming at us that you probably didn't run on in the beginning. That's not why you chose to run. It sort of came to you yeah. and said, oh, by the way, you're running? Here, you gotta deal with this. And you're like, uh, okay. Tell me about that committee. What's going on there? Well, for the most part, we're very civil. It's not like you see on TV. For some reason, you put a microphone in front of someone and they say things that they would never say in the middle of a conversation, which is a shame. Um, but we're having really good conversations. And I think we all want we all want strong families. We all want good education for our children. We all want them to grow up and be skilled and know their strengths right. and be able to be a wonderful employer, start their own business in their garage. We all want that. Where we're disagreeing is how we get there. Yeah. And we have to stay calm and have conversations like we're having to figure out how we get to the goal that we want for our right. children. And it is, it's complicated. And I think for the most part, we all mean well. And as long as we can keep talking, I honestly believe we can work through this and you have know, a stronger Virginia. I, I saw you earlier this morning at Winston Sears reception for delegates and legislative aides and, and senators. And uh, before y'all came in, I'm, I'm reading a book um, it's, a, it's an advanced copy. It's a wonderful book. I'm going to hold it up here for our, for our camera. It's called Why America is Free. And it's by Jack Warren. Uh, he heads up the Society of the Cincinnati. This is an advanced copy. You still need, this is how you get the... Can I have it when you're finished? Uh, have, well, I'm sure Jack would love, to, love for you to have one. I love to read, yes. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a history of our revolution. Mm -hmm. I'm a former history teacher and government teacher, and there's some fascinating stories in here that tie together this, this notion of why we are free. And in the construct that you're talking about, the racial construct, in the, in the Declaration of Independence, most people don't realize it wasn't just written by Thomas Jefferson. It was written by five different people. He was the prim primary author. And he didn't argue for it when it was presented to Congress. He let John Adams do that. He didn't want to, he would, he didn't want to defend his own writing. And one of the things that, the, the mo this is where the, the passage from the book, the most dramatic passage deleted from the draft denounced the king for permitting the African slave trade to continue. Mm -hmm. Thomas Jefferson, in the original draft, 
of the Declaration of Independence, put that in there, and the Congress took it out. Can you imagine our country if they had left it in? That's fascinating thought, isn't it? Isn't it? We don't teach this part of our history. Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. We have to cancel him. I mean, he was putting it in our foundational documents to get rid of the slave trade, essentially. He was known as an abolitionist. But we don't teach the entirety of a person. We like to take a tweet, a phrase, and turn it against them and condemn them. Hmm. You know? and, and that's one of the hard parts about politics today. Because when I showed this to Winsome, an immigrant from Jamaica, she goes, yeah, I thought everyone knew that. I'm like, no, not everyone knows this story. And I think we're so far off the page from one another. And when you get to look at a bill, you're on the same page as the people around you. You're looking at the exact same words to come to an agreement. Here, our foundational documents had this element to it, and it was taken out. And we realized sometimes we, the, the best of ourselves was lost in that moment. When we could have gone, yeah, we, we should probably do this. It doesn't make a, this is not congruent with who we are, who, yeah. we're, who we're saying we are. And we had the chance to do it that many years ago. It, it would have saved a lot, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it have? Yes. But could we have become the country that we eventually became because it wasn't in there? And that's a conversation we have to have today that we're not. Because who we are as a people, I don't think we're truly discussing. We're so divisive, and we're taking these elements just to divide each other in the binary uh, political reality that we have. I'm sorry for the rant. You're welcome. That's okay. <laughs> but it, it, it's striking to me that we have it better than any people in the world history ever. 99.99% of people who ever lived don't have it as good as we do. Yeah. Think about this. And when yet we're so divided. Mm -hmm. When you look at how far we've come, and again, I mean, I'm 65. It's not a secret. But well, when, it wasn't until just now. So, well, I think I thought it was public information. Oh, no. But that's we don't okay. discuss age here. Come on. But the, when, I was, when I was very young is when school segregation was beginning. And I'll never forget my mom sitting down, me and my older sister. Integration. Yes. I, yes, integration. Okay. I'm okay. sorry. I said that backwards, didn't I? <laughs> You'd be really old if that was the case. No, 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 no. And my mom set, me to, set us down, and it was Hodges Manor Elementary School in Portsmouth and said, when you go to school this fall, there may be, and again, th we, the, the terminology then was colored, but there may be black children in your school. And we didn't care. I mean, we weren't, we weren't taught to think differently, but my mom's point was, if there are, and we said, well, we'll be nice, mom. Of course we'll be nice. She said, I know you'll be nice, but the point is you have to go farther. You be the one that sits beside those children. Really? You be the one that sits with them at lunch. You're emotional. My mom, yeah. And Why you, are you be the one that, that because it's we've lost that. And my mom said, when your friends see how you behave, they will behave the same way. And what 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 period of time are we looking at here? So so that'd be mid-60s? In, in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is the beginning of integration. This is when yes. the civil in rights era. the very era, beginning. This yes. is when it was, this was hot and heavy. Mm -hmm. And my mom knew we were going to face this, and she knew that we were raised to just accept people this, the this, way they are. You've, you've had some powerful moments here, and you're emotional now. I'm sorry. And, <laughs> no, it's no. wonderful. No, but it's, I still it, you shouldn't, you, I, I don't think, I think, I mean, look, I'm, I'm like the Dick Vermeil of politics. I'll cry at a drop of a hat because I'm so moved by this country and what its people can do. Um, and, and I'm glad you're emotional about these things mm. because it, it shows that you, it, these things mean something to you. And when I asked the first question of why you ran in the first place, and when we left the reception, I said, why did you do this, <laughs> right? 
because it means something to you, um, and that's what we have to tap into and share with our, with our fellow, your, your fellow legislators and your folks back home, your, your citizens, your residents, to change what we need to change. Because if they can't see someone's true emotions and true feelings, how can you ever bond to them and understand them? That's what I want to understand about you. Don't, I, 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 I treasure it, and thank you for sharing that with us. Um, well, it, that's how I feel. I mean, everyone has the right to be taken by at the char their character and uh, yeah. the decisions that they make, not how they look. And honestly, all those years my mom raised us so well, I don't remember the first time there was a person of color in one of my classes. I honestly don't remember when it happened. It was just so... Yeah, the same way in my neighborhood yeah. growing up in suburban Detroit. So, there was no plurality. Yeah. <laughs> there was no plurality. And that was a wonderful, that was a wonderful element of, of my childhood. Um, and so when I moved to the South, it was like, I, I didn't understand the whole reality of, of some, and especially in the Shenandoah Valley when, frankly, it really isn't, it, it wasn't as divisive in the western part of, of the South, the Appalachian Blue Ridge area. Um, we can do the whole history thing, I won't, I won't belabor. But, but I'm, I'm really moved by how, how deeply important this is to you. Yeah. And how do you look at legislation in those terms? To just try and fix the divide that we have now. And when I was walking doors, um, if you can get someone to have a conversation and realize how much we have in common and that it's not right to judge people by how they look. Now, you'd be surprised some of the mistakes that I've made um, by not judging people <laughs> okay, the way do others here. do. Um, I just, we'll be here all day sharing our mistakes. <laughs> so, um, but I tend to look at people and, and not see things that other people see. I just judge people for the conversation that we're having. Yeah not an outward appearance and um, it's it, it's it's um is it what you thought it would be you would, it would be the legislature yeah yes it really is okay um, because for the most part and again we have exceptions i'll be honest to both parties we have right. exceptions but for the most part people are here because they have good intentions mm -hmm. we just have to figure out how to translate our good intentions yep. into the best decisions for virginia so we can get back to where we were when I was a little girl and um, trying to just do what's best for, for all Virginians instead of um, vying for power. The one thing when I said goodbye to the House, I, I, I said I would miss the people in the room more than anything else because I respected them all because I knew what they did to get here. At a base level, everyone has to do the same thing to get in that room yeah. to be able to work together to get mm -hmm. things done. And otherwise, why are you here? Yeah. But unfortunately, what, what pulls us apart though? What divides us? I mean, you're, you're a heartfelt, earnest, hardworking citizen who, you know, who ran for office, you know, when most people don't. Your initial foray mm. was in your mid-60s. Most people get out well before then. But, you know, to your credit, you said no. That's why I asked, what, what got you going? What keeps you there is important to understand. But what is dividing us, Karen? I mean, what is it that we need to overcome? So we, we don't talk to each other anymore. Like the man who said, I've never talked to someone who said he was a Republican. I also met a, a young lady. Um, she actually was an organizer in one of the Black Lives Matters protests. And I met her and we're, we're friends. So she texted me yesterday and said, I'll be home from college in March. I said, I'll be home from Richmond in the middle of March and we'll have lunch again. We have lunch like once a month. And we just don't connect with people anymore. And we just found where we have common ground. And Why don't we connect anymore? What's separating so, us? Uh, I think a lot of it's the media. 
Um, social media, we, we see, as you said, you know, we see the memes, we see the clips, the little quips that people make, and we think we know the whole story, and we don't. Yeah. You can't get the whole story in one sentence. And you can't get the whole story by making a joke about someone. And um, we have to get packed that. And we're not going to do that unless we have a conversation. And that's why we're doing this podcast. And which is wonderful. Thank you so much for well, what you're doing. Invite your, invite your colleagues to come yeah. join us. Um, let's get to know, Karen, you, Greenhall, a little bit better. You're, you, you self-admitted 65. <laughs> I, I, so, so I, thought, I thought everybody knew, yeah. Isn't that funny how you, everyone, you think everyone thinks something about you? It's just weird, right? Yeah. And everyone goes, ah, no. Um, so you, so um, you're basically ten years older than I am. Mid sixties, you'd be in high school, 80, 70, early seventies. A very different time yeah. uh, around the civil rights movement, around the Vietnam era. But mm. you know, what what are your favorite TV shows? Let's get to know you a little bit more personally. What do you like to watch? I don't think I have a favorite TV show. Just one um, of all time. Oh, one of all time. Sure. Um, this is going to sound crazy, but I love the old ones like Lucy. Okay. Lucy took on a lot of challenging topics. If you go back to the I Love Lucy show, um, but for the time modern, it was it was yeah. on the edge, and most people don't think that, right? They were or living. Archie they they slept in. Oh, I, I, oh my gosh. <laughs> Archie Bunker today. Yes. So, but so all in the family. Yeah. And so, just, but you like you like the shows that cut the edge a little bit there. Yeah. Cut the edge off. Yeah. And today, I mean, even, dare I say something against the Marvel movies, but even those are becoming politically correct and... Um, Too touchy? Like, yeah. like you have to like... Yeah. Because what I, what I loved about the, the era in which we grew up, the All in the Families, is that they made fun of yeah. what they're trying to overcome. So. Satire. And we can't, it's, it's, yeah. and I think Bill Maher speaks this very powerfully on his HBO show, where you know, he just says like, when did we become so, you know, so frail with humor? Why can't we have, why, I mean, Blazing Saddles mm -hmm. was written partially by Richard Pryor. I mean, you're like, why can't we have these conversations? Because those started the hard conversations. Yes. With the humor. Why is that funny? Because it's true, right? Favorite movies? Uh, favorite movies? I love Places in the Heart. Okay. So that, that, was, that was a favorite. And um, To Kill a Mockingbird was one of my favorite books and favorite movies. Okay, Gregory Peck. So, yes. And Atticus, again, Atticus it's back, back to the, the same issue, you know, you just, you have to help people, even if you don't have things in common, you can yeah. still, you know, still reach out a hand and g give people a hand up, like. Well, you mentioned To, to Kill a Mockingbird as, as a book, other, other books that are a favorite of yours? Um, well, I like Gone with the Wind. I okay. like Les Mis, I mean, just the history in there is fascinating. There's, there's a thread in there. There's a thread in there in all of those. And Jane Eyre is. Have you looked, okay. Jane Eyre has such a strong Christian theme that I've never seen come out in a movie. But if you read the book, mm -hmm. she made very hard decisions because of what she believed. Very, very hard because she believed she had to do what was right. She had to do what she believed was right and what God was going to hold her accountable for. And but that doesn't a, there's come a, out there's in a, movies. Karen, there's a theme throughout all of this. <laughs> there's a theme throughout all of this. What do you think that is in you? That I care about people, I suppose, maybe. I, I hadn't put no it all wrong together. answer. It's, it's your introspection. I'm, yeah. just, I'm just, I'm just, what yeah. I love about asking uh, delegates and senators who come in here is are, are these questions, who are you? And, and uh, they're not the same. And yet they are. They all have this thread in their lives. And when they start examining it, and we start looking at them going, oh, she's this, it's not the Republican and the Democrat, right? You know, the liberal and the progressive and the mm -hmm. conservative and the moderate and the rhino and the dino and all that kind of stuff, which I hate. 
those labeling of people because we're more than our labels, far more than our labels, politically especially. Um, and, and when we do that, and your colleagues see this and go, well, I, I like Jane Eyre too. You know, I like All in the Family. Uh, today, Chris Head was on here and he likes Downton Abbey. Well, so does Jennifer Boisco. Oh, I watched that one too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great show. Yeah. It's a great show. Uh, sports teams, do you follow sports at all? Do you, do you have a, a favorite? No, I have done sports. When I was watching football, it was Pittsburgh Steelers. Give me some of that. Yeah. When I was doing NASCAR, um, what do you mean? I, what do you, you're still watching the Steelers, right? Because you're like a diehard fan, right? That's what I understand. <laughs> so no, I, I don't keep up with sports anymore. And I don't keep up with NASCAR, but I did pick Ward Burton. Okay. Um, now why don't you follow sports anymore? So just just time. Just yeah, just the time. Neither okay. one of my children were interested, and um, so you know you go with. But both both my children are history buffs. So really, yeah, I have a very deep genealogy. Yes. What have you done the the Ancestry.com test? Uh, no, not the test. Um, because I do, I do privacy for healthcare. Okay. I don't want to give out my genetic code to anybody. You know, okay. your, your thumbprint is not private anymore. If you've ever done the. Well, that scares me now. Yeah, since I did privacy three years ago. Big issue, but um, but my daughter did do our genealogy, and it's it's very okay. interesting. What is the genealogy? So, um, have you ever heard the term Melungeon? I've heard of it. I forget what it is. Yeah, it's mixed race, and okay. I have ancestors who lived in a Melungeon colony because they were mixed race. They were too dark to be white, too white to be African-American or Spaniard. Okay. So they and where, where, where was the Melungeon? In Western Virginia. Western Virginia. Mm -hmm. I should know this because that's, that's where I'm from. Yeah. Whereabouts in Western, like West Virginia? Yeah, well, South, um, Southwestern Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky. Okay. okay. They just sort of congregated. And I actually have ancestors that lived in those colonies, yes. Wow. Yeah. Now have you gone back and explored them? I am in the process right now. Okay. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yes. Any any particular books that you've read in the subject or want to go with like areas you have to go to? Have you contacted the delegacy centers down there? I have to come see your area because this is where my people are oh, from. Oh, I'm in touch with the um, the Melungeon Historical Association. Oh, so right you've now, gone down just the path. trying to just trying to confirm what appears to be true. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's fascinating. It is. What bills are you working on? I have um, I have several bills that are different. Um, instead of the mainstream issues, I'm working on re informed consent for women facing an elective abortion. Okay. And this is not to interfere sure, not sure. between her and her doctor, not to convince her to make any particular decision. But right now, the Department of Health has guidelines for other elective surgeries, but they have totally deleted the section on abortion. There are no guidelines. The General oh. Assembly took out what was required for informed consent. And an elective abortion is the only elective procedure. They said if you were going to have LASIK surgery or knee replacement, mm -hmm. you do your research, sure, what sure. kind of procedures, um, talk to your family and friends, who do they go to for doctors. And when you met that doctor, the doctor knows you have choices. Right. The doctor is going to meet with you because he wants you to choose him because you can go somewhere else. Okay. With an elective abortion, typically you go in, you have the, the procedure the same day or very soon. There's no requirement for any information to be given, and there's typically no follow-up. Follow-up is go to the ER. Um, I worked at a crisis pregnancy center for 10 years between my two businesses, and I had a client call me from the ER, and she said, I'm here at the ER, and they're asking me what kind of, what did they do, and I don't know. Wow. I don't know what to tell them. And for a woman to go and face any procedure and not have that sort of basic information is appalling, I think. And so we're yeah, just what's, trying what's to get the bill that number? Back. 
It is House Bill 212. And this is your bill? Yes, it's my bill. And how did it do in the House since we passed crossover? It passed the House. What was the vote? Um, well, it was unanimous in the House, I believe. Unanimous? For, no, no, no. For the Republicans? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, what was the floor it's vote? Party line. Okay, so 52-48. Yeah. Straight okay. party line vote. What's the prospect to look like in the Senate? Um, well, I'm hoping we can make a difference because it's... Um, Education I'm, I'm, and health is the, is the next committee. Yes. And when's that bill up? We don't have a date yet, but I'm expecting it probably Friday. This coming Friday? I'm hoping, yeah. Okay. So you I have, think you've got your work cut out. It's soon. You've got your work cut out for you yes, on that sir. to get that to get. Yes, so I think that I think that committee yeah. is nine six, it's not eight seven. But when I was walking doors, whether the woman was pro-choice, pro-life, didn't matter. I did not meet a single woman who didn't believe a woman has a right to information before she makes a decision. And that's all this is. No waiting okay. period. No ultrasound. None of that. Nothing controversial. Just basic information so basic she can information. make an informed decision. Okay. I think I think she's entitled to that. Okay. What other bills are you working on? Um, I have um, the SRO bill for schools. School resource officers. Yes, which we put quite a few changes in because it, it was a very um, hard-hitting bill. And so now we've made it where you can have a school security officer okay. instead of just a school resource officer. So you Is can that a cost factor? It's a cost factor, but it's also you can have unarmed security. Oh, okay. You don't have to have the armed police officer. But just someone there. Yes. And um, so that, and we've taken into account that some localities even have middle school and elementary school in, in one building, building, so right, they right, can right. share, Highland County share officers, <laughs> and okay. and we've clarified the funding a good bit. Right. Um, so both so those bills, do they have any fiscal impact or require any budget amendments? Um, the SRO did. Okay, but so the informed consent didn't. No, okay. the Department of Health said it was so easy, and this is information from the Department of Health. No one outside. We're talking about basic. Um, information here, okay. and they said there's virtually no cost. They didn't see it as a financial okay. impact at all for that one. Any other bills? So those are the big two. Uh, those are those, those are two big are ones the, to go home with. Those are two two big ones, and then I have one for um, to allow doctors and pharmacists to prescribe and dispense FDA-approved drugs for off-label use. Which What's off-label use? Off-label use is um, a pharmaceutical company has a drug approved for a specific use. Like me, right. I've right. had one for over 10 years. Right. It was developed for asthma. Okay. So they test it. They find out what the dosages are, mm -hmm. what's safe, who shouldn't use this because it can cause high blood pressure, that kind of thing. Right. But it's only approved for one specific symptom, an asthma. Right. I don't have asthma, but I use this prescription because it helps with the symptoms that I have. That is oh, okay. off-label use. And then 20 to 25% of all prescriptions are off-label. If we had pharmaceutical companies get a, a medication approved with that complicated process, none of us would be able to afford them. But doctors okay. know they can look and, this and decide help what will work. Okay. And in pediatrics, uh, there's a lot of off-label use because they're dealing with children and there's not necessarily medication that's designed for children. Okay. So there's a lot of off-label use in seriously ill children. And another one is oncology, mm. cancer. Mm. Because every person's cancer is different, treatment is different, reaction sure. to treatment is different, and so often they're treating symptoms. So just like my asthma prescription is treating a, a symptom, but I don't have asthma. Right. And so I see Right now, there's some interference trying to keep doctors from prescribing okay. or 
um, pharmacists from filling certain prescriptions for off-label drugs, and I see it as the first step in interfering with something that could be very serious consequences for okay. everyone. Well, that's Karen my Greenhall, other big bill. Karen Greenhall, that was your big bill? That, I said that's my other big bill. Other big bill, okay. You, 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 have, two, you got three, three big bills. That's, yeah. Freshmen normally <laughs> don't carry that kind of a load, so congratulations <laughs> to you for taking that on. Thank you. Karen Greenhall joining us from Virginia Beach, first year delegate. Uh, won a very close election, 150 votes if I remember. 115. 115, well, landslide. <laughs> Congratulations on that. I'm Chris Saxman on the VIP podcast. We have a new VIP in the house, Karen Greenhall. Um, this was brought to you by the, uh, the Virginia Cable Telecommunications Association, now VCTA, the Broadband Association of Virginia and Virginia Free, of which I am the executive director. Thanks for joining us. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Thanks for joining us.